Thank you to Nick and the team for leading us in our worship of God this evening, and it's time for us to come to God's Word now, again as we continue in Jonah. So please turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we're going to read through to Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 17, through to chapter 2, verse 10 uh, is the section that we're going to look at this evening. So let's read God's Word together. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land." Just so far in God's word this evening. So there's the section we're going to be looking at as we come to our second uh, message in this book of Jonah this evening. And last week, if you were here, you will know that we ended with religious Jonah sinking uh, into the depths of the sea in the hardness of his heart towards God, while the previously irreligious pagan sailors were worshiping God with repentant hearts. Uh, Last week we considered chapter 1 under the heading of when the grace of God pursues us, uh, and this week we come to chapter 2 under the heading of when the grace of God rescues us. Jonah was a prophet of God who had heard God speak to him clearly, directly. He had understood what God required of him, and yet he ran away in direct disobedience from the God of the word. We ended last time with Jonah so stubborn and so determined in his downward spiral of disobedience that he would rather die in rebellion against God than to repent and to turn back and obey God. Must remember that Jonah was a man who knew God. He knew God, but he disobeyed God. He ran away from God, and and from a human perspective, he was about to die in his rebellion against God. Humanly speaking, we would consider Jonah to be an utterly lost cause, sinking to the depths of the ocean in defiance against God, and his death could only be described as him getting what he deserved. The Bible makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. And this could not be more clearly understood in the story of Jonah, the path which Jonah had chosen for himself. He was about to receive the rightful punishment for his sins as the waters closed in on him and as he sank down into his watery grave. 
But praise God that this is not where the story of Jonah ends. And hope that you're praising God this evening that this is not how your or my story has ended. Because as we're going to see again this evening, God's relentless grace in saving sinners shines so brightly uh, in this passage today. So let's just jump straight back into the story and we're going to pick up our study in chapter 1 verse 17 uh, as we consider in the first place this evening God's sovereign grace in salvation. Now we've come across this theme of the sovereignty of God a number of times already last week, and we'll see it again this evening. And, and once again, we cannot ignore the amazing intervention of the sovereign God in saving sinners. As, as Jonah last week was thrown overboard uh, and is busy sinking now into the depths of the ocean, we read in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this one verse has become the source of so much discussion uh, and sadly so much distraction over the centuries of church history. People have debated what, what type of fish was big enough to swallow a man alive. And how was it possible for Jonah to survive inside the stomach of the fish for three days? Others have gone to great lengths to find stories, stories in relatively modern history of sailors who have had similar experiences to Jonah. We've been told how the 25-foot white shark of the Mediterranean Ocean has been known to swallow a man alive as well as to have ingested a whole horse. But as Sinclair Ferguson writes, to focus on the great fish is to lose sight of the great God. Let me remind you that what happened to Jonah, while it is not incompatible with nature, and that really isn't our concern, it, it is nothing short of an incredible miracle of God. And the text won't allow us to miss this. It won't allow us to try and naturalize this miracle which God did. Verse 17 makes it clear that it was a miracle which took place by the Lord's sovereign appointment. Verse 17 says, the Lord appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah. This was nothing short of divine intervention and we should not be surprised at this. It was only a few verses earlier in chapter 1 verse 4 that we were told that the Lord hurled a great storm onto the sea out of nowhere. And then as soon as Jonah's body hit the water, the Lord caused the storm to cease. Surely God, who as Jonah declared, made the heavens and the earth and the sea, the one who controls the wind and the sea, in a sense, the same way as a little child would throw a rock into a pond, so our God calls nature to do his bidding. It should not surprise us that this God also controls the fish in the sea, and that this God can preserve a human alive in the belly of such a beast. And so sadly, I think this is where many uh, countless misinformed Sunday school teachers over the years have unfortunately messed up the story of Jonah for so many children who then carry this misunderstanding into their adult lives. The story of Jonah is not about a big fish which rescued Jonah from the sea, but it is about a big God 
who rescued Jonah from himself. Verse 17 has the sovereign grace of God in saving sinners written all over it. Jonah deserved to die in his sins. We love to talk about free will these days. Well, Jonah had chosen to die in his sins. That was his free will choice. And he was in the process of dying in his sins when the grace of God came and rescued him. Too often, I think, people think that God's salvation comes only to those people who kind of live good lives, to those who, who seek God in church on Sundays, but the book of Jonah shows us the exact opposite. What we see in this book is that God pursues hardened, irreligious sailors on a boat to Tarshish. We see that God pursues religious snobs like Jonah who are dying in their religious pride and that God also loves the ignorant people of an ungodly city called Nineveh enough to send them a preacher. And herein lies the wonderful connection to the gospel, which we will encounter multiple times in this book of Jonah, that our God is a gracious God who is relentless in pursuing sinners into the kingdom of heaven. Let's move on in the second place, and this will be the main point, uh, the main section of the text, to consider God's uncomfortable grace in affliction in verses 1 to 9. Uh, now, this is not the first time, even in the short book, that we are encountering this idea of God's uncomfortable grace. Back in chapter 1, you'll recall in verses 7 to 10, the, the painful grace of exposure as Jonah's sins were, were brought out into the open and he had to face the consequences of his disobedience against God. But here in these verses, we see the very personal nature of the deep affliction which God brought into Jonah's life, not in order to punish Jonah, but in order to bring him to repentance. Verses 1 to 9 is all about the inner spiritual work that was taking place in the heart of Jonah. As he sank down to the depths of the sea, he then had three days in pitch darkness in the belly of this fish to consider his relationship to God. While the whole experience was certainly an incredible miracle of God's power, it was definitely not a pleasant experience. Any of you fishermen here will know, if you've ever gutted a fish and opened up the contents of its stomach, this is nasty territory we are entering into this evening. And yet, it was, it was through this experience of deep affliction and terrible discomfort that God's grace was at work in restoring Jonah back to himself. Sinclair Ferguson says it so well, the deeper work of God took place not in the belly of the fish, but in the heart of the prophet. Not in the realm of nature, but in the realm of grace. Not just in preservation, but in restoration. I think if we miss this, we miss the, the point of this whole passage Chapter two is all about the grace of God in affliction in order to bring about spiritual restoration in Jonah's relationship to God. 
Now, what Jonah will testify to in these verses is not unique. It's not uncommon in Scripture. Listen to the the writer of Psalm 119, who says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I did what? I went astray. But now, after affliction, I keep your word. Verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. 107, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And so here we see that God's purposes in afflicting his children, especially those who are living in disobedience, it's not to punish them, but to bring them back to himself to restore them back to the word of God and to the God of the word. And so with that lens of God's gracious purposes at work in times of uncomfortable grace, let's just scan over these verses to see this work of grace which God was doing in Jonah's heart. Verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Here we have a detailed description from Jonah as to the, the desperation of the situation that he was facing. And although his prayer is written in the form of Hebrew poetry, it has colorful language and rich metaphors, through it we are given a a wonderful insight into what Jonah experienced during this terrifying affliction. The reference he makes in verse 2 to Sheol is the Old Testament word for the place of the dead. It's where dead people went. And so it's clear that Jonah here expects to die. We are told that drowning is one of the worst ways you can die, and this is what Jonah was experiencing. We see in verse 3 the the terrifying experience of being thrown into a sea. Now remember, this was a sea which was raging. The waves were so huge that they were threatening to smash the ship to smithereens, and these waves now engulf Jonah's small figure as he sinks down. Verse 5 tells us that the waters closed in over Jonah, and and the Hebrew in this verse literally speaks of the water coming up to his throat. It means that he was busy drowning as he sank into the depths. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I'm sure many of you have had that experience Uh, of being dunked by a massive wave while swimming at the beach. And as you've been pounded by the the wave and you don't know which way is up or down uh, and you've been tumbled around like in a washing machine, can you add to that in that moment of feeling the terror of of not knowing where your next breath is going to come from? Can you add to that being engulfed in the tentacles of kelp and seaweed? And even if you didn't know which way was up, you can't swim in that direction because your arms and your legs are tied by the seaweed. And as you gasp for breath, uh, water rushes in. That was Jonah's experience. In verse 6, 
We see that Jonah sinks to the depths of the oceans, which he refers to as the place where the mountains grow out of the seabed, the roots of the mountains, the place for sure that he understood to be the place of his death. He says in verse 6, At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This was his final resting place. And then suddenly we have another one of these amazing turn of events in this story. Instead of Jonah drowning, we see that at this point where he was, in a sense, physically at the furthest point that he could be from God, if God lives in the heavens, then the very depths of the sea is as far as you can go. It's there that God rescues Jonah. Look at verse 6b. Yet, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. As Jonah was here drifting into the unconsciousness of death, what happened? He remembered the Lord. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord rescued him. What an incredible verse of encouragement to those today who think that the salvation of God is only for good people. People who've got it all together. No, on the contrary here, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but sinners that he came to save. The poor, the broken, the weak, the overwhelmed. Just like with the thief on the cross, he was about to die when he turned to Jesus for salvation. We see here with Jonah that there is no time limit on God's patient grace to sinners. For as his life was busy fainting away, he called out to the Lord, and the Lord heard his prayer. I hope you see here that even the fact that God heard his prayer, that just shouts out the grace of God to us. Jonah deserved to die. Jonah had actually chosen to die. And yet when he cried out to God, God heard his prayer and rescued him. What wonderful good news this is this evening if you maybe think that you are outside of God's grace to you. I know that there are some here who are living and struggling with ongoing sin and you've reached that point of desperation. Where you say, can God really still be interested in saving a person like me? Jonah says, absolutely. There's a wonderful parallel in the story of Jonah with the story which Jesus told about the prodigal son. It was when the prodigal son was furthest away from his father. He was in the muck of the pigsty that he came to his senses and he determined to return to his father. And while he was still a long way off, we are told. His father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Again, Sinclair Ferguson says it so well. Restoration to fellowship with God must begin in the very areas where rebellion formerly existed. I think this is one of the problems with modern Christianity is we call people to repent but tell them that they can carry on living in their sin. No, true restoration, true repentance and restoration with God begins in the very area where your rebellion against God formerly existed. Sometimes God's uncomfortable grace in affliction is then required 
to cause us to see just how sinful, just how stubborn and rebellious we've been. And when we see that, the solution is not to try and change our lives, not to first try hard to become a better person, to try and work ourselves back to God. The solution is to kneel down in the mud of the pigsty or in the depths of the ocean, wherever you find yourself tonight, and to pray to the Lord and to cry out to Him for forgiveness and salvation. One of my frustrations, maybe one of my disappointments as a pastor, is that too often when people drift away from the church, they cut themselves off from Christian fellowship, they cut themselves off from the means of grace, of sitting under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God on a weekly basis, when I tend to follow up with those people, nine times out of ten I get told, you know, pastor, I'm just going through some heavy stuff at the moment. I'm dealing with some hectic issues in my life. And as soon as I've got those things sorted out, I'll be back at church. No, says God's word to us tonight. You don't get restored back to God when you've sorted yourself out. When you've managed to swim back to the top. You get restored to God when you turn to him at the bottom. And he will lift you to the top. He will restore you to himself. It's a very simple question tonight to every single person who calls yourself a Christian here tonight. Have you turned to God at the bottom? That's what the Bible calls repentance. And have you cried out to God to save you? That's what the Bible calls faith. If you haven't repented and you haven't believed, then you're not yet a Christian. And you will die in your sins. But Jonah turned to God at the bottom and God heard his cry. Now verse 8 and 9 are then Jonah's reflection on his experience as he considers God's incredible grace in saving him from certain death and shows us the purpose of God in afflicting his children with uncomfortable grace. Look at verse eight. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. These verses show us that true spiritual restoration begins in humble dependence on God to save us. What does it then result in? It results in the praise and the worship of God for his salvation, but also in a commitment to then go and obey God to do what he commands, which is the sacrifice of an obedient life. We see all of that in, in Jonah's prayer. Dependence upon God, praise in God's salvation, and then a commitment to obey God. So the, the story of Jonah, it's a wonderful example that obedience follows salvation. It does not precede it. Obedience is the fruit of God's grace to sinners. And so that leads us then to just the final point this evening, which is God's patient grace in restoration in verse 10 once Jonah had reached this place of repentance 
in the depth of his affliction, he was ready now to be patiently restored by God to a life of service and obedience. What did that restoration look like? What a wonderful moment it must have been for Jonah to be restored to God in the belly of the fish. Let's read verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And so he has a practical reminder that the path to restoration is not always pleasant, but the outcome is always for our good. I just love the way in which the writer constantly just weaves the sovereignty of God into this account. Verse 17, God appointed, divinely appointed this fish to swallow Jonah and to keep him safe for three days. And now this section ends with the God of creation, the God of the heavens, commanding this fish to vomit Jonah out on dry land. I still remember when I was in Moy River once and I quoted this verse, one of the children in the church came to me afterwards and said, Pastor, you said vomit in church. <laughs> well, twice, yes, this evening. But yeah, again, we see just God's ultimate purpose in our lives is not primarily our happiness, but always our holiness. And I think we saw something of that this morning, that as we grow closer to God, as we grow in awe of God, so we will certainly be happy, so we will certainly be overwhelmed with who God is. But our happiness is never going to come at the expense of our holiness. God has work for Jonah to do. Jonah had disobeyed God. He turned his back on God. He'd run away from God, and his state of backsliding led him all the way into the very depths of the ocean onto the brink of facing eternal separation from God. But verse 8 tells us why he did not die. And verse 8 tells us why some of you here tonight are not dead, even though you've been where Jonah was because of God's steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word chesed, this unique covenant-keeping love of God towards his chosen people. God's purpose in saving us is not simply to spare us from hell. No, it's to adopt us into his family. It's to transform us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And then it's to, as we heard this morning, to equip us to be the ambassadors of his grace to the nations of this world. I think the book of Jonah, fundamentally at its core, is a book about world missions. It's about God's plan from before the foundations of the earth to save people from every tribe and every nation and every language on the face of the earth. And God's purpose to do that is accomplished through individuals through individuals like Jonah, through individuals like you and me who have first ourselves been the recipients of God's grace to us. You see, when God first told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah refused. He refused because he did not yet understand God's grace towards sinners. He thought that only the Jews deserved salvation. He thought that somehow he and them as a people were better than all the other nations, and certainly the Ninevites, those evil oppressors, did not deserve God's grace to them. And so God needed to teach Jonah a very important lesson, which is that he was in actual fact a worse sinner 
than the Ninevites. Jonah had so much spiritual privilege, he had so much spiritual knowledge of God that his rebellion against God made him fully deserving of death. Some of you here tonight need to learn this lesson of Jonah. Many of you have grown up in Christian homes. You've grown up in this church. You have so much spiritual privilege, so much spiritual knowledge, and yet you are living secret lives in rebellion against God. And you are a worse sinner than the pagan out there who in his ignorance is defiant against God. God first needed to show Jonah the gospel himself. That God's salvation to undeserving sinners is not based on our race or our performance or our social status or our religious works. It is solely based on God's love. And only when Jonah realized that he was a desperate sinner who had been the recipient of God's undeserving grace towards him in the depths of the sea, it was only then that Jonah was now ready to go and be a messenger of God's saving grace to the people of Nineveh. This is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, sorry, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 16 onwards. I'm going to read a, a broader section than that quote there, but from now on therefore in the light of the gospel Paul says we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And after reconciling us, what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting our sins against us. And now entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to the world through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So working together with him, we then appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. You see, it is only those who have personally experienced God's reconciliation as sinners who then are able to go and personally be an ambassador for Christ to the world. Only once we've understood that Jesus Christ became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's only when I personally and deeply grasp the grace of God to me that I will be a faithful ambassador of that gospel to others. Jonah shows us how far God is willing to go to teach us the depths of his steadfast love towards sinners. So how do you know if you've experienced this? How do you know if you've experienced and understood and believed the grace of the gospel in your life? Well, you will be a humble, obedient witness to Jesus Christ. Here's a test. 
if you believe that any kind of person, any racial or language group, any category of sinner is not deserving or is less deserving of God's saving grace, then it shows that you have not yet understood God's grace to you. You're still in the rebellious Jonah stage of your journey. Have you written off anybody in your life? Anybody who you think is not worth your effort to show them the love and the grace of God anymore? They've hurt you too many times. They've sinned against you too many times. They blatantly have done things which you disapprove of too many times. And so you turn a cold shoulder to any person or individual or group who you believe is beyond the grace of God. You are critical, you are judgmental of those who've disappointed and hurt you, and they've not lived up to your standards. Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, it reveals that at best you have not fully understood the gospel. But it may reveal that you might not yet be saved. So unless you repent, unless you turn to Jesus for forgiveness, you too might find yourself under the hand of God's uncomfortable grace of affliction, as Jonah did. So I close today with just a sneak preview. I'm not going to steal Shane's thunder for chapter 3, but just a sneak preview to see how Jonah responded to the patient grace of God in restoring him. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then, this is now after Jonah had landed on the beach. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. You see, God's grace to us demands a right response. A response of thankfulness and praise, as we saw in the belly of the fish, absolutely, but then also a response of obedience and service. And so if you are a believer in Jesus today, God has saved you for a reason, for a purpose. And I didn't arrange this with Shane or with Nick in terms of the readings of this morning's message. This was prepared during the course of the week. But I'm closing this evening with the same passage that's come out again and again today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Wow, that's amazing. So that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God help us all to respond to his grace in Jesus Christ because you and I were not rescued by a fish. We were rescued by the very Son of God who who left the glories of heaven, descended into the dark depths of our sinful world, and even into the dark depths of death on our behalf. And he found us, and he rescued us, and he restores us to God as our Father. May we all respond to that love and grace today as we humbly submit our lives to proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, out of the depths of the sea, 
out of the muck of the pigsty of our lives and into his marvelous light. How can you keep that to yourself? May God cause us with both this morning and this evening to be in awe of the God of our salvation. Uh, And as we do, that we would proclaim him to those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this obscure story of a rebellious prophet which has so many lessons for us as your people today. Lord, as we have looked at ourselves in the mirror of your word again this evening, may we see the Jonah in all of us. May we see the lessons that you taught Jonah. Lord, some of us have gone through these seasons of uncomfortable grace and And you've restored us to yourself, and we thank you for that. But Lord, may that not be the road that all of us have to go, because we've learned from Jonah about your grace to undeserving sinners. May you restore us, may you give us all a a fresh appreciation for the gospel. And may we as a community here at Honeyridge, as we leave here this evening, be a people who proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Won't you help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.